He said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, Mortal, eat this scroll that I give you and, will, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. He said to me, Mortal, go to the house of Israel and speak my very words to them. For you are not sent to, pe to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. Not many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. See, I have made your face hard against their faces, and your forehead hard against their foreheads. Also, um, John chapter 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep me, my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. And chapter, uh, verses 25 through 27. I have, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you all that I have, set, that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It is said that the only constant in life is change. There's one more, but you're going to have to wait until the end of the sermon to hear what that one is. Sometimes change is very, very difficult. For those of you who have moved, you know that moving can be a tough situation. Losing a loved one is almost always very traumatic. When someone undergoes an amputation, they sometimes talk about the grief of losing that member of the body. When children are faced with the separation of their parents, they have to learn a whole new way of relating to them and living with them. Changes in pastoral leadership lead to a change that requires us to getting used to a new style of pastoral care. Changes can also challenge our assumptions about life. 
my mother was a, a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. She was also quite prejudiced, to be honest. My parents and grandparents were members of the Ku Klux Klan. And when Ed Brooke was the candidate for senator from Massachusetts decades ago, my poor mother was faced with a, a dilemma. Would she vote for a black man or would she have to vote for a Democrat? <laughs> the Republicans won. But that was, that was the kind of change in life that was, it was really tough for my mother. Barbara Kingsolver, in her latest novel called Unsheltered, tells the story of two different families, both very dysfunctional, living in two different centuries in the same poorly constructed house that should never have been built in the first place in Philadelphia. The 19th century family consisted of a high school teacher, biology and science teacher, and his family, who lived next door to a woman who appeared to be a recluse, and in fact she was much of a recluse, but was in fact a, an avid backyard biologist. And she was in constant communication with the great Charles Darwin. They both were total disbelievers in the theory of creationism and had come to be clearly, <clears throat> had come to clearly understand that the scientific possibilities and the science facts pointed to evolution. But that was a great challenge to the thinking of the day. And for the high school teacher, it brought many challenges between him and the principal and the school board. Their challenge was to live in a time and place where their scientific beliefs upended completely the typical thinking of the day. The second family lived in the 20th century. Here, a suddenly unemployed journalist finds herself bringing up a grandchild, living in this peculiar house with neighbors of another, with, of, with neighbors of another ethnicity, family pattern, and lifestyle quite different from what she was used to. Her quasi-hippie daughter was a rabid, a rabid environmentalist, challenging the family's lifestyle and assumptions from everything they bought in the store to everything they dared to throw away, and of course, was in love with the young man next door. In both cases, the 19th century family and the 20th century family, the basic belief systems and assumptions of everyday living were just 
challenged and turned topsy-turvy. Those challenges to belief systems bring challenges to relationships. Not just in fiction, but in real life as well. Now we heard read from the Old Testament this morning a portion from Ecclesiastes which is familiar to many of us. I confess that over the decades I have shied away from Ecclesiastes when it came to selecting scriptures for preaching. Largely because I find that Ecclesiastes in some cases challenges my own belief systems. I do not think there is a time for killing and a time for war, for example. And yet, it is clear that times and change do occur. And whether I like it or not, there is a time when killing happens. There is a time when war occurs. And there is a season for every change under the sun. Phyllis Tickle, a prominent church historian, has written that cataclysmic change has come over the church about every 500 years in the history of the church. Before and after 500 AD, we saw the great Saint Augustine, the expansion of the church across the Roman Empire, and the split of the church between Rome and Constantinople, the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church and the Christian Orthodox Church. At the end of the first millennium came a very dark period in Christian history in which we sent the Crusades against the Muslim people and 500 years after that, almost to the decade, Martin Luther ushered in the Protestant Reformation. We're now another five, six hundred years later. And today, the church is in turmoil again. As people are turning away from churches in droves. Church doors are closing all over this country and have closed in many parts of the world. Today, people are asking, why do we need religion at all? Traditions and belief systems are challenged every day. I'm involved in a major campaign to build an addition to our library and I went to a, young, a, a wealthy man and let him know that I, I wanted a sizable sum of money from him. And he said, the first thing you got to do is convince me why we need libraries anymore. As he picked up his iPhone and found any piece of information he wanted. Assumptions of the past require change for living in the day 
that God has given us. As you know, our United Methodist Church is a worldwide denomination with nearly a third of our membership living outside of this country. And we are split right down the middle over the issue of how we treat LGBTQ plus people, especially when it comes to the ministry. Currently, we do not lawfully ordain them or allow them to marry in our churches. Fortunately, I think in the New England Conference, we have endorsed a policy of nonconformity with our denomination, what I like to call biblical disobedience to the Book of Discipline. And I do believe that unless God intervenes and some miracle happens at the general conference of our church next May, that the New England Conference will be prepared to leave the denomination. Our church is split down the middle, and we are headed for a split again, as we did 150 years ago over the issue of slavery. Once again, an issue talking about the value of human life, regardless that time of color, this time of orientation. Now is a time for change in the family of Wesley Church as well. Last week you said goodbye to my very good friend and colleague Peter Hay and your pastor of 13 years. Peter and I served in neighboring churches for several years in my last appointment when he was in Woburn. Peter has brought gifts and graces to this congregation, to you people whom he loved. He has brought to you gifts and graces that are very different from those of his predecessor. Cheryl Meachin will become your new pastor officially tomorrow. To some of you, she is no stranger. I had the joy of working with Cheryl as her mentor for the first five or six years of her ministry. And I can remember the, the, the way she lit up when she talked about her, her life and journey of faith as a member of Wesley Church and as part of the, the, the musical group that we heard singing and playing this morning. Some of you knew Cheryl as a friend and a fellow worshiper in this community where she received her call to the ordained ministry. For those of you who knew Cheryl as friend, you will now need to know her in a different relationship as your pastor. For all of you, whether you were here when Cheryl was part of the congregation or not, 
but for all of you, you will discover that she brings gifts and graces that are different from those of Peter Hay. One of the beauties of the United Methodist Church appointment system is that the bishop and the district superintendents work together with the staff parish relations committee, the pastor parish relations committee of each local church. But they as a cabinet also have the overview of more than 500 churches across New England. And they try their best always seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit to match the needs of congregations with the gifts and graces of the pastors of our conference. And I can tell you as a retired district superintendent, there is nothing more satisfying and rewarding than to walk out of a meeting where I have just introduced a pastor to a pastor parish relations committee and they just click. And I walk home, or I drive home, and I think, surely the Holy Spirit has been at work in this process. Now I have to admit, there were times when I felt like I was putting a square peg in a round hole, and that was not as satisfying. But I also knew that in our denomination, if that was a problem, it could be fixed. But I can almost assure you unreservedly that Cheryl Meachin and this congregation will be a match in which the Holy Spirit has been truly operating. Whenever there is a change of pastors it is a good time, I think, to ask the question, what's, what's our vision for the future? Where do we go from here? As the new pastor and congregation work together, as you and Cheryl come together as a new, in a new relationship, ask yourselves the question, what does God require of us? in this day and age. But it's not, it's not just when a change of pastors occurs that that kind of a question should be asked. I think it should be asked weekly or daily in our personal lives and in our life as a congregation. What does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of us? The prophets had it very simply put, do justice, love kindness, walk humbling with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Yes, we do live in a day of constant change and challenge. I said at the beginning that it is said that only change is the one constant in life. But there is another constant 
that we heard read from St. John's Gospel this morning. The promise that God is always with us. Verses from John 14 are frequently read at funerals because they are a promise of the presence and the comfort of God for those who survive. The promise that God will be with them, with us who remain. But that, whole, that promise holds true as well as we face the daily changes and challenges of life. Jesus assures the disciples that when he goes from their midst, there will be someone else, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will be with them. We've just celebrated, what, two weeks ago, Pentecost, the account of the Holy Spirit descending upon the first century church. It is that spirit of which Jesus reminds us and promises us in John 14. It is that same spirit that accompanies us on our life's journey as we face challenges day by day, year in and year out. Challenges to our health and well-being, challenges to our assumptions and lifestyles, challenges to our thinking, our belief systems, challenges for ourselves personally, challenges for our church as we look to the future. It was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who maybe put it best when he said, the best of all is, on his, on his deathbed he said these words, the best of all is, God is with us. Amen.